Our scripture for today is from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8, and chapter 47, verse 11 through 21. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with him when he made himself known to his brothers. And when he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and the ruler of all Egypt." So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his family and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they would be buying and brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep, their goats, their cattle, and donkeys. And he brought them through the year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well. Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Send us seeds so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, again, I want to thank everybody, those of you worshiping in person and those of you worshiping online. And today is the finale of our series on Joseph. We began um, right after the first of the year. Uh, Even if this is your first Sunday with us, though, I want to say don't worry about what you've missed because today we're going to take a walk through, we're going to take an overview of the whole Joseph story. 
And as Leah said in the children's time, uh, the story is found in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Old uh, Testament. And the Old Testament is part of God's revelation to us. And yet, because we are Jesus' people, we read the Old Testament differently. We read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. That's what we do. We read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. And we do that by asking ourselves, what does this mean for us as Jesus' people? One thing that we've learned from the story of Joseph is that God calls flawed people to carry out his plans. Now, and, and that's our good news today, kind of my main thought for the day. Uh, now, sure, God could do everything himself. You know, uh, snap God's proverbial fingers and voila. But that's not his style. He wants to work through you and me. So will you say this, what you see on the screen here? Let's say it together. God calls flawed people to carry out his plans. 20 years earlier, 20 years before it happens, God is the only one who knows that there will be seven years of terrible drought and famine and all that. Couldn't God just tweak the weather? Couldn't God just kind of turn one of the weather dials and say, okay, no doubt, no drought, no famine after all? He could, but that's not usually God's way. God loves to work through people. That's why God put us here. God wants uh, us to exercise his reign in the world. That's one reason why I support efforts to reduce climate change. I believe God wants us to come up with viable, affordable, sustainable solutions. I learned this week that compared to the size of our planet, the atmosphere is quite thin. Proportionally, as the skin is to an apple, so our atmosphere is to the earth. Wow, isn't that something? Proportionally, as the skin is to an apple, so our atmosphere is to the earth. I think that's kind of fascinating. And just as God worked through Joseph to feed people during an upcoming famine, I believe God wants to use us to preserve the life and health of this planet. God calls flawed people to carry out his plans. Back to Joseph. Uh, 20 years before the famine begins, 17-year-old Joseph has 10 older half-brothers plus one younger full brother. And to be fair, and those half-brothers hated him, those 10 older brothers. And it's not all his fault that his older half-brothers hated him. I mean, his dad had four wives at the same time, and so he was born into family rivalry. And it was God. You could blame God if you want. God was the one who gave Joseph uh, these dreams about how one day his 11 brothers would all bow down to him. Joseph's mistake was in bragging to his brothers about those dreams. In one dream, he and his brothers are all stars in the sky, and all of their stars bow to his star. Since I was in college, I've always been fascinated with the paintings of Vincent van Gogh. And my favorite is this one. 
the starry night. I love the, the swirling sky and the pulsing stars. You know, today you can get this image on just about anything from uh, playing cards to wallpaper to coffee mugs. In 1889, uh, Vincent van Gogh was living at a mental hospital and uh, he painted this during a bad relapse. Um, he, he didn't really, he didn't particularly like this painting. Now, it's his most famous. Sixteen years ago, my son and I went to the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and we saw it, the original one. And there it was, you know, about eight feet in front of me, smaller than I thought it would be, though. This winter, I put together a 1,000-piece puzzle, there it is, of the painting. <laughs> and let me tell you, this was quite a challenge. Uh, a month later, the, the finished uh, product is still sitting on a table in our family room. I'm not quite ready to box it up yet. <laughs> and, and going back to this one, I recently learned something fascinating about this painting. How many stars are there? Eleven. Just as Joseph had 11 brothers depicted as stars in his dream, Van Gogh's painting has 11 stars. Many art scholars believe that this is a nod to the Joseph story. And that's your art trivia for the day. All right? Okay. Joseph's 10 older brothers uh, send him off uh, with a caravan of traders who take him to Egypt and sell him off as a slave. And after years of serving his master, one day his master's wife accuses him falsely, so Joseph is thrown, up, thrown out, locked into, into jail. After seven, several years in prison, two of Pharaoh's officials also find themselves locked up. Joseph is assigned to go and care for them. One night, each of them has a dream, which they then relate to Joseph the next morning. God gives Joseph the interpretations. In three days, one will be restored to his position of serving Pharaoh as his cupbearer, in three days, the other will be executed. And that's what happens. And Joseph asks the cupbearer, when you are restored, when you're back serving Pharaoh, ask Pharaoh to release me from this prison. But the guy forgets, forgets all about him. Two years later, Pharaoh has a couple of dreams and looks for someone to interpret them, and that's when the light comes on for the cupbearer. Uh, hey, Pharaoh, I know a guy. <laughs> uh, he can interpret dreams. So Joseph gets called up from prison, and Joseph gives credit to God and tells Pharaoh the meaning of his dreams. Egypt will have seven years of bumper crops, followed by seven years of severe famine. God wants Pharaoh to store up a grain during the seven years of, uh, of feasting so that the people won't starve during the seven bad years. And Pharaoh says, you, you've got it. That's the meaning of my dream. I know it. Joseph, you're the person I'm going to put in charge to run this whole thing. And of course, Joseph proves himself so astute at his job, Pharaoh puts him in charge of running the whole country. Nine years later, two years into the famine, who comes straggling into Egypt? <laughs> That's right, 
Joseph's ten older brothers. <laughs> Joseph is just looking there amazed at what he sees. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. So he plays with them. He continues to speak through an interpreter like he doesn't know what they're saying. The famine has been severe in Canaan, they say. We wish to buy grain to take home to our families. You're spies, he accuses them. No, 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 we're, we're just here to buy food. But Joseph keeps up his ruse and locks them in prison for three days. On the third day, he decides that, well, one of them will stay in prison while the rest take their food back home. Joseph orders, though, that if they return, they must bring their youngest, son, their youngest brother, Benjamin, that they've already talked about. When they arrive home, tell their dad, Jacob, what happened. He grieves over the son who's been locked up. But he's not eager to send these sons back to Egypt. I mean, he fears that if they go back, then he may never see any of them again. But eventually their food runs out, and Jacob reluctantly sends them back to Egypt, this time with their youngest brother, Benjamin. When they arrive and get an audience with Joseph, they, they bow down to him as foretold in his dream more than 20 years earlier. When he sees when Joseph sees his dear brother, Benjamin, he is overcome with emotion. He steps into a private room and weeps. When he regains control, he, he returns and treats them to a lavish meal, puts on a feast. Before they leave, the sacks on the brother's donkeys are filled with food, but Joseph cannot resist manipulating them one more time. He directs the steward of his house to put his own silver chalice in Benjamin's sack. The next morning, brothers set off for home. Before they get far, Joseph sends his steward to pursue them. As directed, the steward checks all their grain sacks and finds the allegedly stolen silver chalice in Benjamin's sack and accuses him of stealing. So they all turn around, go back to Joseph, who threatens to make Benjamin his slave while the others are free to go. But Judah, the most noble of the brothers, explains that if he doesn't return with Benjamin, their poor father, old as he is, will die in grief. Judah says, take me. Make me your slave instead. Side note, Judah is the ancestor of Jesus. And by offering to take his brother's place, Judah gives us a preview of the self-sacrifice of Jesus. Pardon me. <clears throat> Suddenly, <coughs> Joseph is overcome with emotion. He orders all the Egyptians to leave the room. And as they do, Joseph bursts into loud weeping, and then he speaks to his brothers. I'm, I'm guessing using the, the language that they all grew up with. He's not using an interpreter now. He says, I am Joseph. His brothers, standing on the far side of the room, are awestruck. I mean, they don't know, you know what to believe, what to say. And Joseph brings them in closer. Come here, he says. 
And as they cautiously approach, he, see, he says it again. He says, I am your brother, Joseph. And he adds, the one thing, the one detail that no one else would, would know. He says, I'm the one you sold into Egypt. In Genesis 45, 7, Joseph finally comes to terms with what has happened and he recognizes the guiding hand of God in all of it. He tells his brothers, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, which means to preserve your family line and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, of course, the brothers are still in shock, unable to speak. So Joseph has to convince them he loves them, and he, and he hugs their necks, and he kisses them on the cheek, and he tells them there's going to be five more years of famine, so he urges the brothers to bring their father and all their families to Egypt where he will take care of them. And that's what they do. Joseph settles them in the land of Goshen, the best grazing land in all of Egypt. And Joseph provides food for them. The, the family is saved. Father Jacob lives a long, good life and dies there in Egypt. And when he dies, Joseph's ten older brothers become afraid that now that dad is gone, he might try to seek revenge on them. But he doesn't. He says... You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, uh, if you've been here before you, in this series, you know that this is our theme verse. And uh, so I'm going to ask you, will you say it with me one more time? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. We hear this story and we say, Joseph, you are quite a guy. I mean, you forgive your brothers, you save your family, you provide uh, grain and grazing land for them. Way to go, Joe. You're a hero. But heroes are human. Like all of us, they are flawed. And we can be blind to our flaws. And yet it's still true. God calls flawed people to carry out his plans. You know, Joseph has great power as second in command of Egypt, kind of like a prime minister. But as the famine continues, poverty in Egypt worsens. Chapter 47, verse 14 says... Joseph collected all the silver to be found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for, for the grain which the people came to buy, and he deposited it in Pharaoh's treasury. So, you know, the Pharaoh had all the grain uh, from the, the seven good years, and, and now Joseph is selling it back to the people, apparently at some steep prices. Before long, everybody runs out of money. Now what do the people do? They come begging to Joseph, give us food or we'll die. Does he give them food? Well, not exactly. He trades food for their livestock, horses, sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys. I mean, what are they going to do? They have no choice if they want to live. 
Trading their livestock saves them from starvation for one more year. Unfortunately, the famine continues. And the people, I mean, they've already tried begging and it didn't work, so now they, they don't expect generosity from Joseph. They offer to sell their land and themselves to Pharaoh in exchange for food. Verse 20. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. And finally, Pharaoh owns not only the land. It says, the land became Pharaoh's and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. Indentured servitude is a form of slavery where you have no other option or believe you have no other option but to contract yourself as a laborer, usually to pay your debt which you can never pay off. I don't know about you, but I want to say to Joseph, hey, Joseph, I thought you were one of the good guys. You know, what are you doing turning all the people of Egypt into slaves? Well, we could say that Joseph is simply acting in the best interest of his boss, the, 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 the Pharaoh, but this seems so heartless, doesn't it? We could say that reducing the Egyptians to servitude is God's judgment on them, but there's no hint of that in Genesis. Instead, it appears that God sent Joseph to, to save the Egyptians as well as his family. I'm more likely to cut Joseph some slack by saying that he is a man of his times. He didn't think democratically. He wasn't tuned in to equal rights. Uh, I don't know if anybody in that day would have seen slavery as inherently wrong. But look at the damage it caused. While the Egyptians lose everything, Joseph's family, these Hebrews, they are living off the fat of the land. And you know, when a system carries that much inequity, it's going to cause problems, right? I mean, we know that. Injustice amplifies prejudice. Injustice amplifies prejudice. Uh, the Egyptians already believe it's beneath them to eat in the company of Hebrews. I can imagine them saying, now look at them. They're prospering in our country while we have nothing. Maybe if Joseph had dealt more compassionately with the people of Egypt, if he had given them a chance for prosperity rather than poverty, things may have turned out better for everyone. But they didn't. The animosity of the Egyptians toward the Hebrews worsened until one day a Pharaoh came to power who did not know Joseph. The Egyptian people were all too willing to turn the tables and make the Hebrews the slaves of Egypt. And so now these Hebrews, the descendants of Joseph and his brothers, remain slaves in Egypt for centuries. God's good purposes may seem delayed at times, but they can never be stopped. And God calls flawed people to carry out his plans. 
A few hundred years later, God calls another flawed person, Moses, to lead these Hebrew slaves to freedom, to bring them to the promised land. And God is calling you. Flawed though you are, to carry out his plans. You are God's plan A. Together we are God's plan A, plan B, plan C. I mean, God's going to go through the entire alphabet as many times as it takes, but those plans will always include you. God has plans for this church. Even now during the pandemic, God wants us to keep supplying a few days' worth of extra groceries to people who are running short during the month. You know, I just want to give a shout-out to our pantry workers. You have been some of the most faithful servants we have here in this church, even during the pandemic. And maybe God is calling some of the rest of you to say, you know, I think I want to be a part of that, to serve in the pantry. And some of you, maybe the best thing for, place for you to start is while you're already here on Sunday mornings. Uh, for example, our guest connections team is like the oil in an engine. The, the guest connections team, they, they keep uh, Sunday flowing smoothly. They greet and guide and make personal connections, especially with new people. Maybe God's calling you to serve with children's ministry, and you don't know, you might love it if you give it a try. Or you can learn to be a blessed friend for people who are already in your life. You don't have to go anywhere. People in your life who are not connected to Jesus or to a church. You know, next Sunday we're going to have another 30-minute Zoom session at noon uh, just exploring a little more about how can we be a blessed friend for, for someone. So if you're interested in that, let us know. You can be a part of that. Maybe God is calling somebody here to be a foster parent. I mean, obviously, it's not for everybody. But it's an important calling. Maybe God is calling somebody here to start a new business through which you can be a blessing to many people. Maybe God is calling somebody here to be an advocate for justice. Right here in our own community. Who knows what God has in mind for you? God is planning for things even decades from now, right? He's already putting people and and pieces in place just like he did with Joseph. So where is God calling you? Sometimes it's just a matter of asking and then trying something out, trying something out you're interested in. See how it goes. If you want to know your calling, if you keep asking and pursuing, God will show you. Let's pray. Oh, dear God, we are amazed that you are the same God who who guided Joseph. (laughs) How wonderful that you used him to save many lives. And we praise you, God, for your saving work in this world yet today. Sometimes, oh God, I forget that you love to work through people.
even flawed people like me. And so I would encourage each of us to ask, Lord, where do you need me? To what are you calling me? Lord, I commit myself to you. Here I am. I am yours. Use me where you need me. Use me when you need me. And like Joseph, I thank you for your guiding hand in my life. And all God's people said, Amen.